This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Have you ever wondered what it's like to bite into nerds' gummy clusters? They're fruity. They're tangy. They're gummy. And they're crunchy. Nerds Gummy Clusters, a union of fruity sweet gummy and tangy crunchy nerds. Unleash your senses. Shop now at nerdscandy.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello and welcome to One More Life, the gaming podcast from RadioTimes.com. I'm your host Rob Lean and each week I'll be joined by a new guest to learn about their life with gaming. This week's guest is Elle Osley-Wood, the new host of BBC Radio 3's Sound of Gaming, a brilliant monthly show that celebrates video game music. Elle has been working as a host and presenter in the gaming world for years now and you may have even seen her hosting the BAFTA Games Awards on a number of occasions. Her first episode of Sound of Gaming is available on BBC Sounds right now. It's all about open world games and it features a lovely interview with Starfield composer Enon Zur. Future episodes will arrive on the first Saturday of every month. In this interview, Elle shares her own gaming stories and explains what it's like to take over a beloved institution like Sound of Gaming. Without further ado, let's load up that conversation. Hi, Elle. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Hi, lovely to be here. I always like to kind of start right back at the beginning. I was wondering what are kind of like some of your very earliest gaming memories or like formative experiences for you? Yeah, it's funny actually, because obviously one of the things I think we always ask in games is what's the first game you played? And for me, I actually don't know. I think it's the same as if somebody asked me, you know, what's the first TV show you watched or the first song you heard? I don't really have like a clear memory. So I always say it was probably either kind of Sonic or Abe's Odyssey. But I actually, I was in the US this week. I was flown out to do a talk on gaming and I went out for dinner with some of the team. And for the first time in my entire career, somebody asked me, what's the first game that you fell in love with? And I've actually just never been asked that before. And so I really thought about it. And I was, I decided it was Silent Hill on PS1. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I, it's funny because I was definitely slightly too young for it, I think. And I played it with my cousin's, and so it was an oddly party-like atmosphere for a side of the whole game. So we kind of all sat together and they were kind of guiding me through it, but like shouting stuff. Um, I always say it was very cliched because it was, you know, all the black side of my family. And 
we they'd be like, don't go in there, don't go there, oh, oh, like all the way through it, which was just very entertaining. So I just remember thinking, you know, I was terrified, but that it was, it was the first game that I felt like I was really in it. So even though, you know, I will always love kind of Sonic, I will always love like Abe's Odyssey. I think it was the first game where I was, you know, so tense because I was picturing myself in that, in that game. And I just... Yeah. And I fell in love. I fell in love with Japanese titles. I fell in love with horror games. I feel like actually thinking about it, it was instrumental for a lot of my kind of big loves in gaming now. So yeah, I think, I think Silent Hill is, is the one. Nice. I wasn't expecting that. You must be excited. Doesn't Silent Hill's making like a quite a comeback scene about Silent Hill too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I just think I'm, I'm so excited about it, I have to say. And I'm also interested because it's been away for such a long time and it was kind of the first in its space. And so I'm interested to see what it feels like now, you know, at this point when it's a genre that's so packed and so innovative. I think, you know, scary games, horror games, that kind of thing is a really exciting genre in video games. I think that they, it's very innovative. It's, you know, where a lot of real creativity is. And so I'm interested to see how it holds up, I think. Yeah, definitely. Have have you got any other kind of horror favourites from like more recent times? Resi 4 is like one of my all time favourite games. So obviously very happy recently. Um, And I love that one. I'm a big, like I love a cult, you know, (laughs) I think it doesn't matter if it's a book or a film or just, I mean, not real life, but you know, in any entertainment format, I love a cult. So I really, I love, I love Resi in general. I just think it's, it's great. But I, Resi 4 is, is the one for me. That's yeah, one of my favourites. No, see, that remake was so good. I haven't gone into the DLC stuff that they've added yet, but I want to give that a go as well. Yeah, oh, it's good. Get in there. Nice, nice. You reminded me of of something when you were talking about cousins. I just suddenly had this flashback to me and my cousin Kieran, who was kind of like the closest cousin in in age to me. There'd be like a family gathering and we would just kind of slink off and I would like try and get him to play (laughs) FIFA with me and he'd he'd try and get me to play Ratchet and Clank with him. Oh, no. And we didn't have like the exact same interest, but it was like, we're going to go and like find a little room to go and and sit in and play games together. (laughs) That's exactly what we did. They used to be in in particular in the cousins that um introduced me to Silent Hill, they had their own gaming room, which was just the coolest thing to me when I was younger. And so all the adults would go in one room and we'd all immediately, you know, be polite, say our hellos, do everything we had to do, and then we'd all run off and yeah, secrete ourselves in that room. Yeah. It's funny that the tables kind of turned the most recent time I was round at Kieran's family's house. It was like everyone else was kind of out in the uh, main area of the house. And then our two dads were sat in this little side room. I think they were watching some kind of sporting event that no one else was interested in. But it was like, now they've been annexed and the rest of us have taken over. <laughs> Good stuff. They know how it feels now. Yeah. <laughs> Digging kind of a little bit deeper into your gaming life as a whole, what do you think are kind of some of the games you've put the most kind of sheer hours into? Mm, so, I mean, the first one is Call of Duty, definitely. Like, I'm a big fps fan it's just it's the love of my life like that genre so i i definitely you know cod and because it's the thing you play with your friends so it's you know that's absolutely i think particularly when i was younger real solid like more than full-time hours (laughs) into that but now i'd say it's diablo because that's what i play with my partner and so i love diablo i i love arpgs that's another big love of mine and so when i met my husband we played Diablo 3 together, like nonstop. And obviously now with Diablo 4, which is just, oh, chef's kiss, beautiful. Like just a, you know, gorgeous. There's a couple of things I need, you know, but we're getting there. It's only just come out. So I I didn't start playing straight away. I was like, let me wait for 
patches and, you know, yada, yada. So I started end of August, like the last week of August, and I'm 157 hours into Diablo 4. So that's that's the kind of <laughs> time commitment. But I, I just, it's, I really wish we had more kind of couch co-op stuff. So I love that I can just get home from a long day on set. I'll walk in the house. My husband's like, right, we're ready to go. He's got the TV set up. We're like, you know, on the sofa. It's, yeah, it's a real comfort game, I think, for me. It's it's something that it can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be so hard that I've got to focus and feel tense. And, you know, so it's it's a real good one to come home and just veg out and play. That's so interesting. I wouldn't have, like thought of it in those terms of being like a comfort game just like you know looking at like the, the just like looking at like the box art exactly. or the screenshots or whatever but yeah i know what you mean i did a uh radio five they have a gaming segment and i went on to do that and talked about diablo and the host was googling it at the same time and he was like oh it's because i described it exactly like that i was like oh it's my favorite comfort game i get home and feel cozy <laughs> and play diablo and he was like it's incredibly violent <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's set in like an eternal hellscape and it's and you know, endless torment. And, yeah, just that just warms my heart. <laughs> <laughs> on um on Call of Duty, how are you feeling about the, the new one coming up, Modern Warfare three? And there's been lots of excitement about some of the old maps coming back and stuff, right? Yeah, I mean that's I love Modern Warfare. for me I always think like that's that's cod to me. So it's when they decided that we were gonna go back to that modern warfare era, I think that's what I'm a big a big fan of. The thing I really love about Call of Duty is it's a franchise that just really listens to the fans. And I'm sure people are going <laughs> to at me. Don't at me about it. That's my opinion. I really think that they're, you know, a very responsive franchise and they really care about your experience and they really balance nostalgia and things feeling new and exciting. And so for me, yeah, I'm a big fan of Call of Duty and how they they manage that brand. And I always feel I think it's really hard. Like, you think how long Call of Duty's been around. It's so hard to maintain the feel of a game. You know, Call of Duty, I think, in the best way, still feels the same to me as when I first played it. It's still as exciting. It's still as engaging. It's still as challenging, even more so now, because I have to log off when children come out of school because (laughs) they've got frighteningly fast reactions and I'm, you know, a little bit older now. But yeah, I think it's, yeah, I love it. I'm always excited for a new card. And I think there's not a lot of franchises where you can say, I just think it it pretty much always works. They're not always perfect. They don't always get it exactly right. You know, there'll definitely always be releases that are better than others. But in general, I think they do a really astonishing job of keeping that truly, I think, one of the best games in the world. I've never got like super, super deep into it. But I, like when the new ones are coming out, I normally dip in and have a look, you know, kind of dreading some of the, uh, some of the, <laughs> Some of the online matchups that are sure to have, like, especially like when a game's new, it's like they haven't quite worked out like who's good and who's terrible yet, and so you're going to be in. Yes, together, like. exactly. I'm like, let me just tell you right now, like, <laughs> put me somewhere in the middle. Like, I'm <laughs> stop matching me with good people. That's not. It's not necessary. <laughs> eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Obviously, we're going to get on to talking about Sound of Gaming. Do you remember when, like, game music kind of first became something that you were, like, aware of? Interesting. I mean, I think... No, I can't remember a specific point where I, you know, thought, oh, game music exists. I think I'm lucky that I'm not old enough to remember when games didn't really have music in the same way or, you know, and I do think that if you look back, there are incredibly creative game soundtracks. You know, in my first show, we had Chrono Trigger. And if you look at what they were doing with a 16-bit soundtrack, it's astonishing. So I do think that they were doing incredible things, you know, before I was a player, but... I'm right of the era where music was essential, where we'd realised it was a huge part of the storytelling of of video games. And so I don't feel like I remember a point of thinking, oh, suddenly music's good in games or that I noticed it more. You know, I've just always thought of it as a really essential part. You know, when you think of terrifying boss battle music kicking in when you thought you were just wandering through a lovely forest or, you know, <laughs> exactly <laughs> that kind of thing. Or, or, you know, a really triumphant moment. I think I often have memories of, of that swell of music when you finally accomplish something and you just feel huge achievement. So I think it's it's more, it's just intrinsically tied into my gaming experience. Definitely. Even going back, it's like Sonic was one of the, the first ones you mentioned. And like Even the music in Sonic was great, even though I'm sure they were very constrained on how many different yeah. sounds they were actually capable of putting in. Yeah. One of the things about games is it's so hard for people outside of development, even when we work, you know, in or adjacent to the games industry. I think unless you actually develop games and have a really good overview of what goes into them, you just have no understanding of of how incredible what they manage to achieve is, you know, in any era of game development. I've been in games for a really long time and I'm still astonished when I do deep dive interviews or behind the scenes content at the miracle that is any single video game and any single element of every video game. It's just, it's astonishing to me. And particularly now talking to composers, it's just so hard, isn't it? I already think I couldn't write music, let alone, <laughs> you know, music that's dynamic, that, you know, for something, I spoke to Enonza about composing for Starfield. And I was like, how do you even begin composing for a game that has a thousand planets and players can do everything in any order? And they could be, you know, somebody could have a great experience here and then somebody could go to the same place and have a terrible experience. Somebody, you know, it's, it just seems impossible to me. Like I said, I just think every element of game design is a miracle. And I just couldn't, yeah, I couldn't imagine trying. Yeah, it's like you start to try and look under the hood and it's like, well, no, there's too much stuff there. How did they possibly yeah. do that? <laughs> <laughs> when did you um, first start kind of working in the gaming world what was your way in so I started out as a political journalist at the BBC and I loved I loved games obviously as I said I had grown up surrounded by games and at the time the BBC used to cover games as technology instead of culture 
So I asked if I could cover games on the side. And I've told this story before, but my editor said, such an infantile hobby. Why would you want to? You know, why would you want to waste your time? Um, and I was like, I don't know. I've got a hunch these video games are going to be big, you know. <laughs> um, and you know. anyway, so I, yeah, so they did say yes, despite thinking it was an infantile hobby. And so I started covering games. And it just meant that I was really perfectly positioned when games took off in the mainstream and people started to care, you know, like it meant that if you were looking for somebody who was a trained TV presenter and journalist who knew about video games, I was right there. Hi, hello. You know, so it, <laughs> it, it was just kind of perfect timing, really. I think it was quite fortuitous. It, much as I, I'd love to say it's all me and I'm incredibly talented and really hardworking. I also think the timing is is a big part of it, that I was right there as as people who didn't play games started to care about them. And so it meant that I just got more and more work and could turn it into a bigger and bigger part of my career. In anything, I think I do think like timing and maybe a smidge of luck of being in the right place at the right time, I think plays a part. But I don't think you'd still be doing it if like you weren't very good at it yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> in terms of Sound of Gaming, were you, a, were you a big fan of the show in its kind of previous incarnations? Yeah, so obviously it's had two previous hosts. So Jessica Curry, who's the incredible composer behind games like Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. I think she founded the show and... I'm just an enormous fan of her, not just for her composing, but I also think she's really badass. She's somebody who's really spoken out about what it's like to be a woman in the industry. And obviously, you know, she, if you know the studio Chinese Room, that was hers and her partners. And she's talked a lot about how people just ignored her, how she would go to interviews and they would just assume she wasn't really actually a part of it. And it was all her husband. And so I love, she's very, she's very forthright and uncompromising. And I, I just yeah adore her and she was great like really obviously she she's a composer and a fantastic composer internationally recognized so she had great insight and then I love Louise we're really good friends and so she was the next host and yeah she's just one of my favorites I think she's got a way of thinking about games that's really really unique in the games industry I think she's got a really great voice and she just makes games incredibly accessible and interesting and so I loved listening to the show so yeah it was slightly terrifying to take over from two people who I thought had been <laughs> really fantastic hosts but a huge honour you know really exciting to to listen to and love a show and then get to take it over there's not you know you don't get many opportunities like that as a presenter. Yeah how did that opportunity come to pass what was like the the process of of taking over? So I just got a call basically and was asked to write a show and go up to Manchester to Media City and record it and then I knew I think there were a couple of people up for it and yeah and then nervously wait and actually interestingly whilst I was waiting I had coincidentally, before I even knew about the opportunity, I had booked in to go to a BAFTA masterclass with Enon Zur. Oh, nice. And so I went and he was amazing. He's a really, he's really interesting, really warm and gives such, you know, he's got such clarity of vision and he really can communicate his process incredibly well. He's so interesting to listen to. And so obviously I went to this masterclass and I left thinking, oh God, I really hope I get Sound of Gaming. I thought I really want to do this. I really want to listen to these people. I find music, you know, I love music. I'm a big music fan. Who isn't? But you know what I mean? Um, and and so I thought, I just, I, I really hope I get it. And then the next morning I got the call to say that not only had I got it, but that Enonzo would be my first guest, which was, yeah, nice. really lovely. So I was talking to him, I was saying, you know, he's kind of inextricably linked to my Sound of Gaming experience now. That's so nice. Were you there? There was a London Symphony Orchestra thing with, with Enonzo. Yes. Were you there for that? So good. Yeah, I like... went to the recording. 
ah, it wasn't it amazing. It was one of those <laughs> nights where, and I feel like this happens a lot in gaming, but where I just sat there and I thought, I cannot believe that this is my life. That this is my job that I'm forced to come and listen to a live recording of the London Symphony Orchestra for Starfield. You know, it was, it's, yeah, I, I do think I'm incredibly lucky. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good place to be, definitely. But yeah, because I, I was there and I was sat like on the kind of balcony around the edge. And it's like you say, when you look at any aspect of game development, when you see how many instruments there actually are, like a whole massive exactly. hall full of them, two guys playing a massive drum together and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> you kind of think it's just one guy kind of doing it on his computer. Then you see the amount of people that are actually doing it. That's what I was thinking. I was looking down at the percussion section. And obviously they had not just so much more percussion than I even imagine existed in the world but just so many <laughs> weird instruments you know I don't know if you saw like some of the the items they had I mean I genuinely don't even know what they are and I was just <laughs> looking I was like what what is this what is that like weird metal objects and things that had to be like stroked a certain way <laughs> it really made me reconsider what I knew about orchestras you know it was <laughs> very entertaining yeah the music in Starfield is so good, isn't it? Like, oh. that's not even really a question. It's just a statement. <laughs> no, I mean, please. It is. Uh, it's one of the questions I said to Enon is, how do you rein back the emotion? Because I feel like his music inspires such emotion. And he said, yeah, that's really hard for him. He said he loves to go too big and too much so that he would be a sobbing mess on the floor. And he says he has to rein himself in. But he's so... His music is so euphoric. And it's there's something about it that, you know, because obviously he wrote the Fallout 4 music and that iconic theme, which every time I hear it just makes me feel feelings, you know, and it's, I think there's something about his, his composition that's so, you just get so swept up in it. And especially for a game like Starfield, I think that feels extra powerful because it's all big questions, isn't it? And what's life and, you know, the vastness of space. And so when it's scored by Enon, I feel I get entirely too caught up. And I'm like, who am I? Why am I here? <laughs> you could see his, like, pure passion as well, compared because there was those two composers. He was one of them. Yes. There was another guy. But compared to the other guy, he was just like, his arms were all going everywhere. The, the, exactly. the tempo was amazing. I, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I, I <laughs> yeah. think conducting... It's so fascinating to to watch conductors because they, they've got so much personality and you kind of assume, of course, you know, a conductor makes a big difference to the performance and it's, you know, everybody who's incredibly into kind of symphonic music can tell the difference, they can listen and hear the difference between conductors. But it's very funny to watch, I think, because they, as you said, such different styles, one so tight and restrained and, you know, very, very sharp and clean movements. And then Enon, he just looked like his music sounds just full of you know passion and movement and excitement and he was obviously so thrilled to be there it was yeah I uh, loved watching it do you ever find yourself when you're listening to video game music wanting to like sing along to it even though there's no words (laughs) (laughs) I mean the Skyrim music I do that all the time (laughs) I feel like that's one where (laughs) there's not just words like at, at least at the start and I'm just doing big weird noises and my husband will be like are you are you playing Skyrim? <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome for the performance. <laughs> oh, I did have in my head, because I've been playing Spider-Man 2, I did have that in my head, but then I listened to a blast of Starfield and now that's, that's now I've just got... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. How, how much work and what's kind of the process that goes into making an hour of radio? Like, how do you kind of put it all together? So it's a big collaborative process between me and the team. So it's kind of me and a couple of producers and everybody 
comes together to decide on the theme. So I make suggestions, they make suggestions. Of course, they know the whole back catalogue as well, which is important because obviously I'm like, let's do this. And they're like, we did that three years ago. <laughs> <It's>, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so we all come together. And then similarly with music. So I'm, I kind of lead the way on the music, but then they have that Radio 3 sound in their head of, of what they you know, the journey that they want to take the listener on and what feels like Radio 3 to them. So I'll say, you know, I love this and this and this and this. And they'll say, okay, great, we'll take these three. We're going to add in these that we found. And, you know, they'll double check that those fit the theme. And, you know, I'll say yes or no, whether, you know, if I like something or don't like something or don't think it really works with, you know, whatever theme of the show we're going for. And then, yeah, and then obviously they do all the kind of clearing the music, making sure we've got the best versions, chatting to the composers, that kind of thing. And then we'll decide on an interview. So it could be either somebody who's just very well known and they fit the theme really well, or it could be there's a big release and we want to have that composer. So I'll prep for that interview, you know, obviously research, listen, you know, do everything you need to, to go and chat to somebody and then go in and record that. And then I'll also, at that point, be writing the script as well. So once we've signed off on the music and the order as well, which is obviously very important for radio, is, is what order all the music's in, then I'll go and write the script and that takes me a couple of days. I really like writing the scripts. When you're a presenter, you don't often get to write. You know, I do write a reasonable amount of my on-air stuff, but it's not quite the same as, as writing a script where, you know, you're just chatting to a listener. And so it's it's a bit more cerebral. It's a bit more creative sometimes you don't want things to sound scripted when you're a presenter you want them to sound off the cuff but I actually like sound of gaming sounding a little bit more like I'm telling you a story I want it to feel like this beautiful you know creative endeavor and that I'm taking you into this world and it's thoughtful and it's a bit more considered than perhaps some other game content and so yeah so I really I love getting to sit down and just think of the most beautiful ways to describe all the games that I love and all the music that's in there. And then, yeah, and then I go and record that and then I hand it all back to my producer and I'm like, great, you turn that into a show now. <laughs> um, and, they, and they're fantastic at it. They, the edits are incredible. I, the, the work that they do with them to weave the music in and out of my words. And as I say, kind of make the whole show feel like, uh, you know, a piece of art almost, I think is, yeah, they're really fantastic. One thing I really love about Sound of Gaming is the fact that you do describe the games and say what the games are because like of, often there'll be like you know maybe two or three in the episode that I know already and then there'll be a bunch of other ones and I think like is that something you think about writing and speaking for a radio audience is that like anyone could have tuned into this of any kind of age or background they might not know what what a Starfield is or what a Spider-Man is and like to kind of to, to put that in there and then that's some of my favourite bits as well, the bits in between the songs. Well, oh, that sounds like a good game. I'm going to make a little mental note of that. That's exactly it, basically, is is that, you know, anybody could be listening. And not just that anybody could be listening, but that we hope anybody would want to listen. That if they tuned in, that it would sound interesting and entertaining and engaging and that they would keep listening. Because I always think of myself, you know, as an ambassador for video games and the industry. And I always hope that, you know, a lot of people, they just don't see games, you know. So I... I do lots and lots of work with BAFTA. And one of the things we really struggle with there is that, you know, if you're a BAFTA member who loves TV, but you don't really watch film, you get film. You know what film is. You've seen films, you understand them, you know what the experience of watching a film is. But if you don't play games, you have no understanding of that world, what a game feels like, what the experience is like. You, you often, if you're not part of games culture, you have no idea of the storytelling in games, of the fact, you know, that they are the most immersive 
form of entertainment that they you know have these compelling narratives that they're at the forefront of a visual creation in entertainment you know and so i think one of the things i always want to do is is make games accessible for any audience so that you understand what it feels like to play this game that's really important to me um and something i loved is when i went for my audition i met the editor of the strand that the show sits within and she said to me that she had heard me years ago because I also host Front Row on Radio 4 and one of the hosts of that and she said that she'd heard me talk about games on that and that it for the first time she said she had kids that play games and she's not a gamer and, and doesn't really you know interact with them but she said it was the first time she'd understood why people play games and why they like games and that was really rewarding for me to hear that because that is exactly what I'm always trying to do with my work. I don't want to just tell you Call of Duty's huge and it made loads of money and did you know Fortnite's the biggest game in the world like kind of thing you know it's I want you to understand what it feels like to play a game. If I talk about Starfield, I want you to understand the the experience that you will have inside that world and why that's engaging. And so that's always what I'm trying to do. And, and also, I think, to not dumb it down. I think one of the things that happens when we try and make games accessible is we really either we reduce them down to like how much money do they make, how many players they have, or we really dumb down the game. And we're like, oh, you shoot stuff or, you know, you find things. And I think, well, that doesn't capture games. You know, they're hugely complex and fantastic and myriad. And so I'm always trying to to make games accessible, but represent them in in, you know, all their complex beauty. Yeah. And I think one thing you do really well as well is explain things, but not in a like if you just got purely factual and purely informative about it, it could become quite dry listening. But there's like a great line in, in your first episode, you're describing what an open world game is. And it's like, you're using like the comparison of film, but it's like, imagine if you, you can't like get, stand up in a cinema and just walk around and look at different bits. And I was like, that's a great, <laughs> a great way of like helping you visualise it. Like, oh, thank you. Yeah, I was, that's because, again, it's when you say open world to somebody, because I think one of the, my big problems with games media is that we have so many terms that don't mean anything not just to people who don't play games, but also if you weren't born at the right point. Like if I say to you, oh, this game's Metroidvania, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it doesn't tell you anything about the game. It's a real bugbear of mine that we have so many terms that are like, oh, were you born specifically when Metroid came yeah. out? <laughs> if you weren't, good luck. You don't know what this game <laughs> is. Like I find it really annoying that we've just got so many terms. And obviously open world is much more descriptive, but it's still all games seem open world. You know, even some of my producers were confused about that and they wanted to have some music from Abzu, which of course, gorgeous music, Austin Wintory. But I was like, oh, it's not an open world game. And they're like, oh, but you can go where you want and you can swim around. And I was like, oh no, but it's a linear set of levels. It's not, you know. And so I, I do think we have a real problem with very specific terms that do not in any way elaborate as to what that thing is yeah another favorite or least favorite of mine is roguelike it's like if you played this game rogue it's like roguelike. that I was like, no i didn't <laughs> yeah. yeah it's crazy it's so specific it's and think how many video games there are we're like did you play that one game like 20 years ago because if you didn't then i'm not telling you what this game's like <laughs> Oh, amazing. Do you have any, like, personal favourite video game soundtracks? Uh, I mean, yeah. So for me, I I love Ghost of Tsushima. Obviously, that was in my first show. For my first show, a lot of my favourites are in there because I kind of wanted to start like that. So I just, I think because it was quite different to lots of video game soundtracks and Ilana Shkeri, he he really dove deep. Because I think one of the things is I, I, was, a, I was kind of surprised that they didn't choose a Japanese composer. I assumed that they would, given the authenticity, I think, was... I mean... It's obviously not an authentic Japanese game. It is a romanticised samurai story. But I do, you know, I, I 
read Japanese reviews of it and I spoke to Japanese friends about it and they said, no, it's it's kind of a respectful, romanticised portrayal of Japanese culture. But I still thought that, you know, they would have chosen a Japanese composer. But I, I do love that Ilana Shikari, the composer, he he was very respectful and he went and you know, found all these traditional instruments and, you know, there's like an instrument called the biwa and it's a lute-like instrument that samurais used to play. And, and for example, that's just one of the many traditional Japanese instruments he found. And there was just one master of it in recent history. And so now there's only a couple of his pupils left and he went and, you know, found one and learned from them and, and that kind of thing. And it was also really interesting because I think he didn't want it to be you know, he's not a Japanese composer and he didn't want to pretend that he was. And so it was really interesting the way he tried to blend Japanese music. And he was talking about how they just have these kind of five note scales and things like that. And and so he wanted to take that and then use kind of Western orchestration to to build around that. And so it's actually really it's a mix of of Western and, and Japanese culture, which is, of course, what the game is. And so I thought it was a really interesting way to approach that because you could have you know, tried to essentially pretend to be Japanese. And I think that would have been a much more insulting way of, of doing it instead of being honest and saying, that's not my culture, that's not who I am, but I'm going to listen and learn and, you know, integrate. So it's a, it's a inspired by, I think was a really great way of doing it. And then the soundtrack's just gorgeous, so evocative, so moving. So, you know, it's obviously just one of the most beautiful games of all time. And I'm always going to remember it like that because obviously played it during lockdown. So <laughs> I was like, this is my escape. This is my world, you know. So for me, I, I think of that one a lot when I think of, of favourite soundtracks. And then I also, obviously I mentioned Jessica Curry before, but Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, I think was a groundbreaking game in so many different ways. You know, it it's just really, really astonishing piece of work. The voice acting in it is unbelievable the visual design of it is beautiful it was really ambitious as a game that didn't feel the need to be gamey in the most stereotypical way you know it wasn't afraid of of being slow and different and you know a very unusual experience I think in video games and then the music is just breathtaking again so evocative so moving it's just that yeah if you if you haven't well, first, if you haven't played it, play it. <laughs> but if you haven't kind of gone and listened to the soundtrack again as well, just, you know, astonishing, astonishing work. And then I opened my first show with, I think, my favourite piece of game music ever, which is Vast Immortal Sons from the game Starbound by Curtis Schweitzer. And yeah, that is, again, go and listen to it. It's about 12 songs in one. It's, it's for me, when I think of music as a storytelling medium, that's what I'm talking about is is that track. As I said, Vast Immortal Sons, go and listen to it. it. It just takes you on a journey and it's just testament to to the fact that, you know, music has the power to move you and tell you a story and take you to places. And it's a really astonishing piece of music that not many people have heard because it's in Starbound, which is, of course, you know, kind of a cult, a cult game. And so it hasn't, it does not have a big enough audience. So I am repping it here. And do you have anything that you want to tease or that you're allowed to tease about upcoming episodes or themes or, or guests or games that, that you're excited to, to kind of share? 
I actually don't think I can, which is the most disappointing answer. And I have to give it so much. It's so annoying when you're a presenter because so much of what you do is stuff you just can't, especially in games, is stuff you just can't talk about because it's you are NDA'd to the eyeballs. So unfortunately, <laughs> I can't. But it's just going to get better and better. You know, if there's one thing I can tell you, <laughs> we're going to do bigger things. We're going to change, show up. We're going to be even more ambitious. And so, and I would love to hear from people as well. I One of the things I think about, especially shows on the BBC, is, you know, they're for the audience. I would love to hear what people want to hear. I've been getting suggestions already, which I love because, you know, no one person can know the full pantheon of games music. And so I love to hear soundtracks I'd never have considered and and thought about. And then also what people are interested in. You know, I want the show to be for more than just me. And I've got a lot of interest and there's a lot I want to discover, but I also am interested in in what other people want to know, what they've always wondered about in the, the composition process or, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm always I'm always open to suggestions. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask what was it like the first episode going out? I'm sure you were inundated with reactions immediately, <laughs> right? Yeah, it was just really lovely. It's obviously always, it doesn't matter how long you've been a presenter, it's always nerve wracking to have a new show go out. And especially a show where the previous hosts have been so brilliant and such a big part of what makes the show successful. Because when you're a single host show, you know, so much of it lives and dies by how good you are, how much you connect with your audience, what your writing is like. And both Jessica and Louise were were absolutely fantastic and absolutely perfect for the show. So it was really nerve wracking to follow that up. But yeah, the reaction's been really, really lovely. And I think one of the most exciting things is, you know, obviously sometimes composers don't know they're going to be on the show because it depends who has the rights to the music and and how it needs to be cleared. And so it's been lovely to hear from composers who were, you know, thrilled to be mentioned on the show and thrilled that I wanted to include their music in my first show. And that's been really rewarding because I do think it's one of those jobs that sometimes flies under the radar. You know, you've got your Enon Zers who are big, huge composers and everybody knows and he's done huge rounds of press for Starfield, but that's not the case for every composer. Sometimes, you know, they're not even really integrated into the team. They're brought in later and, you know, they, they work separately. And so I think it's lovely to be able to to recognise their work. And so, yeah, it's exciting when they when they realise they've been on the show and they're like, oh my God, <laughs> it's, yeah, really lovely. That's so cool. And yeah, I look forward to, to hearing what you've got coming up. It's monthly, right? Yes, monthly. So first Saturday of every month. Awesome. Look forward to the next one. Hello again. I'm just taking a quick break from the episode to tell you about the RadioTimes.com gaming newsletter. Stuffed with all the latest news, reviews and explainers, this free weekly email will really help you stay ahead of the game. It'll arrive in your inbox every Wednesday, highlighting all the releases you need to know about, along with my genuine recommendations. So if you're enjoying this podcast, head over to RadioTimes.com slash gaming newsletter to hear more from me every week. And now, back to the episode. And I have a few quick-fire questions for you as well to lead us to the dramatic conclusion of the episode. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, I'm excited now. Yeah. I'm ready. And it's all, you know, personal preference. There's no kind of right or wrong answers. Oh, no. <laughs> I wish there was one where it was like, this. there is a right answer, but there isn't. They're all, they're all yeah. subjective. Alarm um, goes off. Yeah. And- <laughs> um, uh, are you personally more of a console or a PC person? So console, definitely, because that's what I grew up with. But I have a Steam Deck now, which does that count? You know, I feel like that's somewhere in the middle, isn't it, between console and PC? And I have to say, I'm, I am pretty obsessed with my Steam Deck. It comes everywhere with me. It's been life changing. So, yeah, console plus plus Steam Deck. Awesome. For, for someone like you, I imagine is trying to play a lot of things a lot of the time. I imagine being able to take 
PC games with you must be a bit of a, a game changer, right? Oh, I, like, it's just like a genuinely, when I say life changing, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being <laughs> over the top. It has changed my life. You know, it's everybody's got that steam pile of shame and mine just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, obviously I'm incredibly lucky to be sent lots of games, but I just never have enough time to play everything. And to be able to just, even for like five minutes on set, we have a break in filming and I can just fire something up. You know, it's it's amazing. And to just, yeah, be able to, take games with me and you know obviously I have my switch but I I definitely something about being able to access my steam library has just felt revolutionary and so it's it's yeah it really has changed my life and it's it's meant that I've been able to play so much more and just enjoy my kind of downtime a lot more I it's amazing to be like as I said on a plane or on set or wherever and I can just be like just going to take five minutes <laughs> and play something. It's amazing. Awesome. They should put that on the box. It's changed my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big picture of me. Thumbs up. <laughs> Are you generally more of a solo or multiplayer type of person? Multiplayer, definitely. So like I said, love playing games with my husband. That's my like number one gaming experience is when we're sat next to each other on the sofa, you know, fighting through some dungeon. But also I just love, I love like any team game. As I said, I love COD, but I'm a big Apex player. I'm a big Overwatch player. You know, I love, I love multiplayer games. It's, it's really fun for me. Have you and your husband done Overcooked? We have done Overcooked. <laughs> Are you still I think together? actually gotten it down to like a, a fine art now. We're very good at communicating my husband and I so we we have been banned from playing together in like board games or party games <laughs> anything like that in real life like our friends have said we're not al- allowed to team up because we're very we're at that point now where we're kind of psychic so actually we're boringly good at overcooked we don't fight it doesn't get stressful we're just like a well-oiled machine and it's just it's like a McDonald's or something we're just <laughs> we're just getting orders out it's just <laughs> that is not in the spirit of overcooked <laughs> it's not at all is it it's so rubbish that's why we don't really play it that much anymore because we just sit in silence and perfectly <laughs> perfectly cook meals <laughs> are you more of a gaming chair or sofa person sofa obviously i've mentioned it quite a lot so far but <laughs> i do love to veg out on the sofa i think i think that's also why i'm a big console player because i just there's nothing kind of cozier to me than curling up on the sofa and, and playing games plus i've got a really sick setup and I've got a huge TV and I, you know, I've really optimised. Like I, I just, um, I bought this flat a couple of years ago and I had to renovate the whole thing because it was, it hadn't been touched since the fifties. And so the the very first thing I planned was my, <laughs> like my gaming setup in the living room and, and like my huge TV, which is like built into the wall and my sound system. And so, yeah, so definitely I'm a, I'm a sofa player. I'm sure it wasn't like this, but I'm just picturing in my head that you've got this like amazing gaming setup in one room and then just like a mattress on the floor in the other room. <laughs> you've got your priorities I mean, I did get in it order. set up before I put my kitchen in. It was quite a long time before my kitchen went in, so I had no kitchen. But let me tell you, I had a sick gaming setup. <laughs> nice, nice. And uh, you said you're uh, a, a, a kind of a bit of both in between console and PC, but in the console world, do you have a, a preference of, of PlayStation or Xbox? Oh my goodness, what a question. What a question. <laughs> I don't think I could answer that. I, it depends. I will say the PlayStation controller is my controller of choice. If I could use one controller for the rest of my life, it would be that one. It is. I feel like my hands are moulded to the PlayStation controller. They, it just fits perfectly. So I would definitely say that. And that's all. <laughs> are you uh, more of a headphones or TV speakers kind of person? TV speakers. I really actually, weirdly, I have... <laughs> 
such sensitive ears. I really struggle with headphones. <laughs> so I've actually been sent so many cool headphones and they look great and they're really, you know, like I, I actually got some amazing D&D headphones. I did a lot of work with D&D and particularly during lockdown, I host D&D Celebration, which is their big annual event celebrating Dungeons and Dragons. And we had to do it from like my flat during during lockdown and beam me live to the US and they sent me like a big pair of amazing headphones that are like custom and and I can't wear them because I <laughs> just it makes my ears hurt <laughs> <laughs> you should have them on like display or something I, I should actually that's a really good point I could hang them all up okay maybe I'm gonna do that <laughs> and say you've got like a kind of mythical free evening ahead of you tonight what kind of games are you kind of rushing to finish at the moment what have you kind of got that you're like oh, I just want to put a few more hours in that I do have a real free evening ahead of me tonight, which nice. is very exciting because I've been hectic lately. And I just started um, Chance of Sonar. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but Chance of Sonar, um, which is, oh, it's the best game. So it's a indie game. It's kind of like um, the Tower of Babel. It's essentially like that story. And so all these different tribes speak different languages and you've got to solve puzzles at the same time as solving their language and so you're trying to translate their language by using the context of the world around you so I kind of think of that mechanic as quite similar to um, say Oberdin or Case of the Golden Idol in that it's like go and look for information and then slot in you know the right the right answer based on the context of the world you're in but it's just really fun it's got it's such a mixture it's a really unique game it's got little stealth moments and i aside from metal gear which is one of my favorite games franchises i'm not a big stealth person but it's got little stealth bits in that i just really love and appeal to me it's got very indie game style puzzles that you have to solve and then as i said you know you are going around trying to translate these glyphs that people either say to you or that you read in the world and plus there's a big overarching story about what happened in this world why everybody's so fractured and it's really brilliant and i actually um, was playing it on my steam deck on the plane and it was so good that i had to stop because i wanted to play it with my husband because we <laughs> we love games like as i said kind of Oberdin, case of the golden idol those deduction games and i knew he was going to love it so i had to hold off which was so difficult for me to do i had to you know put it down and uh, and, <laughs> and wait so that i could play it through with him so yeah tonight that's what we're going to be playing and i'm very excited about it. that's good what was the name of that one again chance of sanar so i think it's spelt s e n n a a r so as i said i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing it correctly and it's a made-up word so I'm, I'm just gonna say i am chance of sonar is definitely definitively how you say it <laughs> nice yeah uh, and on, on uh, your lovely gaming evenings what are kind of some of your favorite like snacks and drinks to, to surround yourself with okay this is sacrilege because no snacks and drinks not near Ooh. not near my consoles not near my controllers you know i'm not a greasy fingered gamer so i'm not a big i might you know order in a shake shack perhaps beforehand yeah and, and maybe that's what I would do, some cheese fries, something like that, and then go into the gaming. But I'm a, I'm quite a serious, like, if we're gaming, we're gaming, you know? So I'm not a, <laughs> we're not stopping for snack breaks. Like, make sure you're hydrated before we begin. We're not, <laughs> we're not pausing. So yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a big, a big, you know, snack person during a, during a gaming session because I'm serious. Okay. I'm taking it seriously. Yeah. No distractions. <laughs> You've not got time to, to pick, exactly. up a, pick up a cheesy chip during a gaming session. Now, I, I'd be in that camp as well. You gotta, you gotta like preload, like carb loading for a race or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to carb load for a gaming session. <laughs> and, uh, and this is the final question. If you could only kind of play one more game for the rest of your life, you've only got one more life in, in gaming, where, which game would you choose and why? Oh, that's so hard. So my my instinct is Call of Duty because, like I said, I think my favourite 
feeling, my most satisfying feeling in a game is is playing a first person shooter. It's, you know, that's for me what I get the most kind of almost physical satisfaction out of. But as I said, my absolute favourite gaming experience is being sat next to my husband on the sofa playing something. So what I think is Borderlands. Because, and it's not that I'm like the biggest, you know, enormous fan of Borderlands and want to be in that world forever, even though I do love it. And I think it's quite a fun, upbeat, engaging game. Again, it's one of my comfort games. But it's, you know, it's a first person shooter that is really enjoyable to play and really enjoyable to play split screen with a co-op buddy. And so I weirdly think that's the choice, even though, you know, it's not, I wouldn't pull it as one of my top games in any other way. But it is, it is a game I love. It is a comfort game. It is a very, you know, I think that the the kind of gunplay in it is is incredibly well thought through. You know, I've done interviews for various Borderlands releases and I love the thought that goes into the design of the combat in that. And I think they absolutely they know what makes satisfying gunplay and they're really good at it. So it would be really enjoyable, I think, to play forever. Plus there's a huge variety of guns, you know, in the the last Borderlands, I think they said there was, you know, one billion different guns because of procedural generation. And so, you know, I'd be satisfied. There'd be something different every day. Plus, you know, I could play play with my husband sat next to me. So I think, I think that's what I'm going, Borderlands. <laughs> Can I just say thank you? I appreciate how much you thought that through. You're like, I want a game yeah. that's in this kind of genre, but I want it to have co-op. And it's like, that was... <laughs> well, it's a good question it's hard isn't it you know what would you play forever and and yeah that's what that's what i'm going with i've really i've really put thought into it <laughs> <laughs> awesome love that and yeah well thank you very much Al, for taking the time to talk to us and congrats on the show and yeah look forward to hearing the next one thank you so much and thank you for having me it was very fun i've got i feel like you've you've i've got to go and play loads of games that i've talked about <laughs> now so <laughs> i really enjoyed it Thank you for listening to One More Life. For more from us, head over to radiotimes.com slash gaming. There you'll find all the latest news, reviews and guides that you need to know about. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave a review on your podcast app of choice. We'll be back on this feed soon with some more gaming goodness. And until then, happy playing.